So this evening, um, we'll do the refuges and the precepts together. So if uh, you want to take out your little sheet, <coughs> if, you, if you need it. And uh, we're going to do the whole thing together. No call and response. We're just going to dive right into it. Those of you who do the eight precepts, those of you who continue to do it, and those of you who want to join, uh, please just uh, keep going when, uh, after the fifth uh, precept. And uh, so that's like uh, the formal way to take them. The, uh, and the uh, technical way to take them also, if you will be to, um, there will be a sign outside. It might be already on the board that the cooks will put or have put, where you would uh, put one line for you if you're doing the eight precepts. So they can make the count. So if you were on the eight precept or are taking it uh, again or taking it for the first time, anyway, cross your name, make a little, uh, not cross your name, but make a little thingy there. Okay. All right. <coughs> Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa. Buddhang saranam gachami. Dhammam saranam gachami. Sangang saranam gachami. Dutiampi buddhang saranam gachami. Dutiampi dhammang saranam gachami. Dutiampi sangang saranam gachami. Tatiampi buddhang saranam gachami. Tatiampi dhammang saranam gachami. Tatiampi sangang saranam gachami. Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Adina dana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Abramacharya veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Musawada veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Sura Maria Majapamadatana Veramani Sika Padang Samadhyami Vikala Bojana Veramani Sika Padang Samadhyami 
Nacha Gita Wadita Visukadasana Malaganda Vilepana Dharana Mandana Vibhusanatana Veramani Sika Padang Samadhyami Uchasayana Mahasayana Veramani Sika Padang Samadhyami Idame Silam Magapalanyanasa Pachayo Tu So tonight I'd like to talk uh, about uh, these um, qualities of mind, these experiences, these uh, phenomenon, phenomena that uh, happens in our practice, sometimes in the, and in our life. They, uh, they are difficult to be with. They, uh, they make our lives uh, they're uh, dramatic, miserable, or just, uh, just slightly unpleasant, slightly, uh, I don't know how to say, just, you know when you feel just a little off, a little disconnected. Um, so these qualities, uh, called the hindrances in the classic uh, teachings, so they call the hindrances because they hinder uh, our practice. But they also hinder; they're an obstacle to our uh, closeness to life, to feeling uh, intimate uh, with life. So uh, there's five of them, and uh, we'll talk. I'll talk about them tonight. Um, I'd like to just maybe place them a little bit in the context of the teaching. So um, this week, twice there was a re reference uh, to the Satipatthana Sutta, this discourse uh, on how to practice, basically that uh, we're all uh, following here. So uh, Annie talked about uh, this when she talked about mindfulness, and uh, Greg talked about it also. Uh, and so there is these, um, this instruction or indication of where to put our attention in a way that it's uh, powerfully uh, and potentially liberating. So there's these four kind of... Uh, areas where we can put the focus. I'm going through this again because it's good to hear that again. And, and then we find it in our practice. Oh, this is what I'm doing. And, uh, so there's the body, attention to the body and all that is implied in there, breath and uh, posture and all this. And then there's the, 
the elements, you know, pressure, cold, heat, expansion, contraction, movement, fluidity, rigidity, all this, the materiality of uh, this experience. Then there's the feeling tone. This is, a, as a Ajahn Sumedho says, uh, this is a feeling realm. This is what it means to be a human being. We feel. So with all experiences, there's always this either slightly pleasant, very pleasant, slightly unpleasant, very unpleasant, or neither one or the other. So that's another area where we can put our attention. Another place is the mind, the coloring of the mind, the mind states, uh, the consciousness and, uh, and how it's colored, uh, how we experience it when the mind is concentrated or not, uh, calm or not, etc. And then there's this very intriguing fourth area where we can put our attention. It, it kind of doesn't fit so well with the others. It's the category of dhammas. And these dhammas are phenomenon, events that happen, and they come in little categories. There's five little categories of them. Very fascinating little area because the way I, I understand this, the dhammas, it's been intriguing for me for years. Like, why is this category there? And the way I understand it these days is that it's um, special ways to look at our experience. Kind of, um, I used that analogy this summer, uh, kind of glasses we put on. Instead of seeing the reality through me, my, what I want, what I don't want, what things like this, my story and who I am in the world. This is the glasses we usually wear. We remove these glasses and we put another pair of glasses. And it, uh, and it can be, or the glasses of looking at life through the hindrances. Are they present? Are they absent? How do they come to be? How do they leave and disappear? How can they not come again? So it would be like changing this I, me, and what I want for hindrances uh, glasses. Not the most appealing at first, <laughs> but potentially extremely liberating. Other glasses that are part of the Dhammas would be the glasses of the Four Noble Truths. Instead of seeing life as I usually drew, do through my own little me glasses, I would see them in terms of, is this suffering? Is this uh, what causes suffering? Is this the end of suffering? Is this uh, going along towards the end of suffering, walking the path of liberation? So we would start to see life always in these terms. How amazing. Yeah. And so there is other categories also, like the aggregates, the five aggregates is another pair of glasses. How to deconstruct the experience of self. And there's another pair of glasses that is uh, the sense spheres, how this, these senses interact with the world when they meet together. And uh, they have their special place in the teaching, all these uh, contemplation, because they can be extremely powerful. This is why. So tonight I'm going to talk about one of them, the, the hindrances. So uh, maybe I should name them, that would help. 
So the classic uh, names we give for them is desire, sense, uh, desire for sense pleasure is one thing that is uh, often there somewhere in our experience. Aversion, not wanting, uh, being in contention with reality or uh, disputing reality. So there's one, if I do it physically, uh, when I talk to younger practitioner teens, actually, I, I say that to them. I say, you know, there's one that is a little bit like this. You can, you can even try it for yourself. You know, that's, it's this wanting mind. And there's one that is a little bit more like this. Huh? It's this not wanting that reality. There's another one that is a little bit like this. It's too much energy, agitation. So we're kind of, we're a little high like this. It's either in the mind, going full speed with thoughts, or it's physical, in the body, there's so much energy. There's another one, uh, it's more like this. This is a slut and torpor, and the low energy. Uh, Joseph talked about it, I think, uh, yesterday, uh, for some time. This so the, not the energy to connect with life. There's, there's not enough there to actually feel, really feel, really be close. And the last one of the five hindrances is the, the doubt or insert uncertainty. So this one you could, uh, there's two physical versions <laughs> that I have. This one is kind of uh, frozen. <coughs> You're not sure what's next. You're not sure what what means what you know. You're kind of this one and the other one would be like kind of turning on oneself or just you know like a, a indecision, not being sure of what direction to go. You know. So these are like kind of the five. You have the water simile that is a really good. Uh, maybe uh, many of you know, know this, but it's good to bring it back again because it's so uh, so such clear images so if we think of a ball of water and we want to see our uh, the reflection of our face our true face our our buddha nature let's say and so we look in this ball of uh, water and when we're in the presence of uh, desire and wanting it's like there was if there was a colored dye in there and it's kind of fascinating and we, we can't see our own reflection. It's, it's just the colors are so fascinating, we get lost in the colors. When there is a, a anger or aversion or uh, and this not wanting reality as it is, this pushing away, it's like if uh, the water was uh, boiling. And so we can't see because there's too much uh, heat in there. And the bubbles. The other one is um, with uh, uh, slut and torpor. It's like if uh, the water was full of uh, algaes and seaweeds and it's all like... <laughs> so you can't see yourself. Sometimes I even think of uh, actually going in. If I was, if I was in a, a lake that was like this, you know, and I would full of wrapped around all these things, you know, and I, I tried to swim, I couldn't. 
The other one is the agitation. It's like if there was a lot of wind, so lots of uh, waves. We can't see clearly because there's so much going on. And then the last one is uh, muddy water full of dirt. So it's doubt. We can't see this. It's, uh, it's unclear. Things are unclear. So these are the uh, images uh, that are used. The Buddha said um, the mind is naturally radiant and pure. It's because of visiting forces that we suffer torments of the mind. This is very important. The mind is naturally pure and radiant, luminous. These are visiting forces. They come to, uh, they come because of uh, ignorance, because of wrong understanding of what is going on, really. They trap the heart. They, they obscure the view. So how do we... Uh, deal with these usually. So there's a, there's a bunch of ways to deal with these. Often we'll, uh, we'll uh, repress, deny, um, indulge in, identify with, I'm like this. So there's a thought of, uh, uh, there's a thought of uh, anger something angry, and I'm such an angry, angry person. So there's an identification. Uh, there's blaming self. This is how I am. I shouldn't be like this. Or they're blaming other. There's blaming others. If they hadn't done that, or if they would only do this. Uh, so we, uh, these are all the kinds of ways uh, we deal with these. We swallow, we keep, no, no problem. It's all, no, it's okay, it's okay. And we accumulate, and at some point, something ha happens. Yeah? So that's one of the ways we deal with it. Uh, now, the beginning of the training on the, on the Eightfold Path is sila, ethics. So that's the first thing we start to do with these hindrances, is we, we say, okay, I know they exist in me. I know there's not clear seeing r right now. There's not pure radiance here. Uh, Things are a little bit obscured by ignorance. I don't see too clearly. And so I'm under the spell, often, of these forces. Uh, so I'm going to take these precepts that we just took. And it's a kind of commitment that these forces will not leak out in the most gross uh, way. So my desire for something, my wanting want, uh, lead me to actually take something that is not offered freely. My desire won't take me to actually say something that is untrue, to get what I want. And all these uh, other ways that the hindrances uh, can uh, spill out, you know, the killing, hurting, uh, sexual misconduct. These are based in, uh, in very strong desire where you don't see clearly, you, s you think the other one is an object and you do, uh, you manipulate this object to get uh, what you want. Yeah. 
So another way we uh, deal with them is by, uh, in, the, in, the, in the practice, is by sense restraint. And this is something that is uh, an invitation here to do. I'll talk about it maybe in two ways, and, uh, and maybe the second way later. But the first one is just to uh, uh, restrain, uh, not be so out there. Because when we're out there, uh, the way our senses function is that they, uh, these uh, hindrances are kind of latent. These forces are latent. And they start to use our ear and our eyes and all our senses as not uh, to see clearly, but as radar. Like the desire will use the eyes as a radar to find something pleasant. And the version will use the earring, the, the ear, to find something annoying. That's often what happens. And so we try to restrain and bring simplicity to our lives. So that's one way uh, uh, to do this. And then what do we find? Because at the, at the beginning it, start, it seems like kind of restrictive, you know, like, ooh, that doesn't fit so much with this society. But then our life becomes a little bit more simple. And then we can touch uh, through renunciation. The joy that, for me, renunciation and contentment are very, very linked. I don't really see a difference between the two. When my life is more simple, what happens is I get, uh, there's a contentment inside that can arise from this simplicity. I remember uh, a number of years ago being on retreat and uh, you know when I would, for example, like reach the end of the turning, uh, turning at the end of the path, I would always like have a little look, you know, like who's where, where, where are they at, you know, who's still walking, who gave up, you know, like I, I kind of knew the, pretty much the scene, you know. And so I, I would just like check, okay, and then, uh, but often when I would do this, I would see something else. I would see somebody doing something a little strange. And then my st thought would start, why are they doing this? Why were they looking in that direction up there? And why, uh, why you know? And, and then I started thinking, you know, when I, when I, I look, I see. That was my, <laughs> I would say, when I look, I see, I see stuff. And then when I see stuff, proliferation is just there. Because when the eye gets in contact with something, when there's contact, there is a perception, we perceive something. When we perceive, we proliferate. So um, this, you have to see for yourself, like the rest of it. Ehipasiko, huh? see for yourself. Is that true or not? You know? uh, and then uh, to experience this, when there is this uh, the lack of self-restraint, re self uh, we start to see, uh, if we bring attention, the, the, the pain of it, the pain of having this agitation, of always looking for something else and looking for stimulation. So self-restraint is one way. I'll, I'll talk about the second thing, uh, way to see it right now, because this is my favorite, really. I feel really... Uh, I love this one. So 
I would call it rather guarding the senses. So guarding the senses as a, uh, another, another uh, if you don't like the sense restraint, it's, it seems too restrictive for you and you already feel like physically like, don't, don't impose this on me, you know, you don't do this to me. If you feel like this, listen to this one. <laughs> That's the wisdom bit of it. Guarding the senses means the most profound way to practice. That's a good sell point, selling point. The most profound way to practice and also the most simple, so simple that it's not easy to do. Guarding the senses means to stay really really close, very primary, I would say. It means that when you see, you know seeing is happening, nothing else. When you hear, you know hearing is happening. And when uh, there is sensations, you know there is sensations. There's this famous sutta, I don't know if maybe some of you make the link, this, oh, I might have heard this somewhere. This famous uh, sutta where there was this um, uh, man, this practitioner, Bahia, and uh, he thought that he was either enlightened or about to be enlightened. He thought, like, I'm really close. And he, wa he, was, uh, uh, he was, yeah, anyway, that was his thought. And uh, somebody came to see him in the story, it's a deva, some, somebody who had access to his mind so that he was thinking this, caring for him so much, came to see him and said, actually, you're wrong. You're not. You're nowhere close. <laughs> you're actually doing, uh, doing something that won't lead you to uh, liberation, to a complete freedom of heart, release of the heart and the opening of the mind, uh, where stress doesn't get in anymore. You're not, th the practice you're doing at the time of the Buddha, there was all kinds of strange practice. Bahia, you can translate, I think, by uh, uh, the bark practicing man or something like this. Some people were practicing as, as if they were cow and some as, as if they were dogs, trying to uh, use all their bad karma by eating the food on the ground and stuff like this. And anyway, his name had something to do with bark, so I can only imagine what he was doing as a practice. Anyway, when he heard that he was nowhere close, he had so much uh, ins uh, aspiration for truth that he said, how can I find the true way? And the deva said, there's actually a man really far, far, far away. Let's say we're here and they say this man is in Florida. <laughs> and. Uh, what he, he has practiced until full freedom, finding full freedom and uh, little adaptation here of the story. And, uh, and he knows the path and he teaches uh, well. So this Bahia went all the way by foot down south. He went to see, uh, search for the Buddha, 
that was the Buddha. And uh, so he asked people, and people were saying, oh, the Buddha is gone for uh, alms uh, round to collect food. So he's this way. And he went to see the Buddha, and the Buddha said, oh, I can't talk to you right now. Uh, uh, I'm collecting food. I'll talk to you after. But he had so much sense of urgency that he said, no, 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 we don't know what can happen. I got here. This is just amazing. I, we don't know what can happen in the next few minutes. You could die. I could die. You have to tell me some, give me some teaching, something. I'm going the wrong direction here. And the Buddha said, no, no. He asked again a second time. And as in the sutta, we see often when asked a third time something, the Buddha always answers. So he asked a third time and the Buddha said this very, very short teaching. I'm going to read it because uh, I don't want to mess with the Buddha's words. So he said, okay, then. <laughs> Bahia, you should train yourself thus. In reference to the scene, there will be only the scene. In reference to the herd, there will be only the herd. In reference to the sense, there will be only the sensed. In reference to the cognized, only the cognized. That is how you should train yourself. When for you, there will be only the scene in reference to the scene, only the herd in reference to the herd, only the sensed in reference to the sense, and only the cognized in reference to the cognized, then Bahia, there is no you in terms of that. When there is no you in terms of that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, there you, you are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. Just this is the end of stress. Extremely simple, not easy to do. This is what I would call guarding the senses, coming back to the senses all the time and not making anything out of it. Seeing is happening. Usually we see things, there's things seen, but we don't know we're seeing. We're making stuff up, we're creating a reality or, or sustaining a reality we created. Or There's a lot going on. But just like now, can you do this? Seeing is happening. There's no stress in that. No contention, not what about me and that, and what about, no, nothing like that, very simple. So guard, restraining the senses, guarding the senses. Another way to deal with this, uh, these hindrances, is uh, through concentration. When the minds get unified and calm and gathered, uh, there's this ex uh, experience of seclusion that we can get. We, we suddenly feel protected. The hindrances can't come anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful experience. The body relaxes, the mind uh, opens, and there's a feeling of uh, safety, being exactly that, secluded. It's very beautiful. But this lasts some time, the time that the concentration is at a certain level. 
And then when the concentration dissipates, then uh, the hindrances uh, can come back. So they're latent, but they're kept at bay. The other way to deal with it is with mindfulness, to be aware of them. Now, this is where this path that we're on is completely, I would say in French, génial, amazing. Because of this mindfulness, when we are uh, the hindrances that are an obstacle, when we bring attention to them, they become the path. They're not an obstacle anymore. They are the very uh, stuff we use for liberation. So when we are caught in these hindrances, if uh, mindfulness comes, if we remember, if we can recognize what is going on and be attentive to it, we're right on the path. Even if it's unpleasant, we are not off the path. We're in it, on it, practicing well. I'd like to talk just a little bit about these two um, qualities of mind that are very important to work with the hindrances of doubt and uh, aversion, desire, restlessness, agitation, and, uh, laziness or sloth and torpor. Is this, uh, these two qualities would be non-reactivity and clear seeing. Clear seeing no, means you recognize what is going on. You clearly know what is going on, but there's no reaction. That could be a description of uh, mindfulness in a way. It's clearly seeing what is happening and there's no reactivity. Uh, Arya Nyani, the uh, nun that um, uh, teaches here, she might be around even these days. Uh, she talks about uh, having the mind like uh, the sky, clearly uh, clear like the sky, clearly knowing, and uh, non-reactive like the sky, and the hindrances being as the, the clouds coming in. So they're there. But there's no there's space for them. But there's no, uh, they're completely seen, they can't hide. But there's no, uh, there's, no the, there's no getting in trouble with them, getting, uh, fearing them, or there's, there's nothing like this. It's just they're there. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give you a. I'll tell you a little story. This uh, summer, I, I was um, uh, teaching in British Columbia. And uh, one uh, evening, just before the Dharma talk, I always get a little nervous before a Dharma talk, for sure, and there's no doubt about this. But that evening, just as I was about to go and, and uh, give the talk, this fear came, like, really 
really big, big fear. I actually thought that I might die. This is the thought that came to mind because the body got so involved in the fear, so much contraction and the heartbeat and, and, and the buzz in the head. The, the symptoms were really, really strong. I don't know exactly why that time it did that. It's, it's unknown to me. But it came, but the mindfulness was pretty strong. And this was complete. People were stretching. We had a little break before the talk, and I did like every other night. I was stretching. I don't think from the outside you could have told, because there was this presence of uh, non-reactivity and clear seeing. I knew there was huge fear, and but on the other end, the conditions were really right in the mind for it to be there, and I was very calm, and I, it was very strange. I sat to give the Dharma talk, and I thought. I could turn to this person and say, I've never been scared like this in my entire life. Th I, I, I might actually die of this. I could say that and I could turn to the other person and truthfully say, all is well. I am as, e at, at, as at ease as can be and I'm actually really happy. Both were... Uh, true in my experience at that moment because the conditions somehow were right uh, to hold uh, what was going on and then surprise it passed yeah so uh, non-reactivity and uh, clearly seeing There is this acronym, no? What is it? What is the acronym? RAIN. Rain. Thank you. <laughs> so just because this, this is such a useful tool, I actually, the first few years I heard that from Michelle McDonald, I used to forget it all the time. But now in my practice, it's very, very present. And it's, it's such a life save. Ver, meaning so sweet. <laughs> so RAIN stands for, uh, the R is for recognition. To recognize what is going on, to name. So if I can... For example, the big one would be like doubt. In a case, uh, I mean, all of them, but doubt, it's very insidious. It comes as, as if it was uh, the voice of wisdom sometimes, no? Uh, you can't do this. Everybody else can't. You can't, you know? Or this, these teachings uh, don't work, at least not now for you, you know? Like, uh, or I'm really caught in, like, I don't know what to do next, how to, how to do this. I don't know if I can do that. Anyway, that is very, it seems like the truth, the reality. But when we name it, if we're able to recognize doubt and name it, oh, doubt, doubt feels like this. This is what it does. It's actually doing its job really well. Doubt is there to make you doubt. And so everything is in order. Doubt, and, but if you can recognize it, doubt, oh yeah, doubt does that. That's what it says. You know, and it's, it's, it seemed to work. But if I name it, already there's a kind of a, I would say a space. I'm using an analogy of space here, I'm not sure. 
there's a space between like ah doubt is here and I'm observing it. Yeah? So this recognition that's what the Buddha does in the sutra when he says Mara, I see you there under your disguise. I see you, Mara. So there's a naming, and the naming can be extremely powerful. So recognizing, oh, uh, aversion feels like this. This is a version. Okay, this is a version. Suddenly, there's a already a kind of a container containing it. The the A is for allowing or accepting. This is very, uh, very important. And this, what comes to mind for me is uh, the fact that this is, uh, this force uh, is coming to visit the mind and uh, it has done so for other beings. Uh, even in the past 2,500 years ago, it did happen. And so, um, this is the story of uh, human life. This is how it is to be a human being. So when it, it arrives, can we accept that uh, it's there? And uh, also because resisting it, resisting, I don't want this, or shutting it down, like pushing something away, the resistance is much more painful than the actual feeling of what is happening. And I think I said that when I gave the instruction the other day, it's okay here to feel stuff. It's a safe environment. We took the precepts. We have a commitment not to act on these forces. And then there's this uh, limited space here on the cushion or in the walking path. And we can allow to, to feel it, to get, uh, to get to know it. Also because it contains so much information. We don't want it to disappear too quickly. Because it has a lot to say to us in terms of uh, in terms of how painful they are, and the letting go uh, will happen often with uh, several meeting of these hindrances again and again with full consciousness. This is how we say uh, mindfulness in French: pleine conscience, full consciousness, being fully conscious of what's going on allows us to feel uh, several things. The impermanence, we see how it moves and can dissipate, dissipate, dissipate. We see also the, the dukkha of it, the difficulty of it, the stress of uh, desire, for example. When I think that fantasizing is, uh, is fun, it's good, but if I start to actually uh, really connect with the force of the desire, for me, when I strongly want something that is not here, if I uh, stop uh, looking at the thing, dreaming about the thing, but come back to the come back to the sensation in the body, often what I fin uh, find is a body as if the body was going to be sick. There's kind of contraction and uh, even uh, some taste in the mouth and. Um, I don't know, the, the, some of the symptoms for me are very close to uh, dis-ease, dis disease. Yeah. I'll continue the reign. Recognition, acceptance or allowing. 
And the I stands for the interest or investigation. So we accept it and then we feel it. And as I said before, uh, very important to bring the attention in the body, to feel it directly, the force of this in the body. The N is very important. This is non-identification. These hindrances come when the conditions are right and they go when the conditions are right. They are not uh, me, mine, I. They are, especially in the context of this practice here, things are looked at as a Phenomena, dhammas, they're things to be known. You see, in this whole uh, practice, there's not much of I and me, and uh, it's always kind of uh, invited to be let go of and to look at what's happening as a phenomena, uh, something that is happening, something universal that is happening, that happens to other people, and to, uh, to know it in this way. It's not an easy thing to do. It's important to talk about these because they, um, they actually are there all the way uh, for a long, long time until uh, we reach uh, full liberation. So I'll give you a little example of this, how, how, far they, how, how far along they'll travel with us. So there is this exchange between uh, uh, Sariputta, one of the disciples of the Buddha, and Anuruddha, who's uh, also, they're really like, up there, you'll see in the exchange here. So once uh, Venerable Anuruddha went to see the Venerable Sariputta. When they had exchanged a courteous greeting, uh, he sat down and said to the Venerable Sariputta, Friend Sariputta, with the divine eye that is purified, transcending human sight, I can see the 10,000-fold uh, world, world system. This is what this guy could do with his mind. Firm is my energy, unremitting. My mindfulness is alert and unconfused. My body is tranquil and unperturbed. My mind is concentrated and one-pointed. And yet, my mind is not freed from cankers not freed from clinging yet. So with his mind, he can, divine eye, he can travel with his mind. And all this, the powers of the mind, his energy, like uh, Joseph was talking about yesterday, is like full-blown force, you know? And so he describes this, but I'm not free yet. And so uh, Sariputta says, friend Anuruddha, that you think thus of your divine eye, this is conceit in you. That you think thus of your firm energy, your alert mindfulness, your unperturbed body, and your concentrated mind, this is restlessness in you. 
it would be good indeed if you would abandon, abandon these three states of mind and paying no attention to them, direct your mind to the deathless element. So although he could, uh, he had a very powerful mind, there was still restlessness in there. And so these uh, hindrances are very, very subtle sometimes. And we have to, um, we have to get to know them, recognize their presence. We're not always in the presence of murderous rage. Sometimes it's just this slightest wanting something else to happen in our meditation. No? The slightest... Uh, there's not complete acceptance of the moment. There's some, the mind wants a little something. There's a little desire for a different experience. A slight pushing away. Oh, yeah, I can totally be present with the pain. But there is in the back this little pushing it away. Huh? And so we need to recognize that and, uh, and feel it and see. And as we feel it, we might find that it disappears very quickly. And then we go on, we practice uh, more. I talked already some, I think, about the... Um, I don't know if I presented this little... Maybe I'll finish with this. This little uh, system of, uh, that we find in the suttas of uh, the gratification, the danger, and the escape. I talked to, about this to somebody today in an interview. So the Buddha at some point was thinking, why am I still doing this? And in this case, I think he was talking about uh, looking for sensual... Uh, 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 gratification from, uh, from sense pleasure. It's like, why am I still running for this? Why am I still wanting a little bit more pleasantness here and not wanting to lose it? Things like this. Why am I still doing this? It's because there's a gratification in this and it's because I don't see the danger of this. <laughs> if I was to see the danger of this, I would find the escape of this. So the gratification, the danger, and the escape. And for me in my practice, that's something I, I use. I try to identify very clearly what is the gratification. For example, uh, this being angry. There must be some gratification in this. What is it? So sometimes it's self-righteousness. Sometimes it's just the sharpness of the mind that comes with anger. And so there's a gratification, I have to identify it, feel it, know that it's enjoyable. Be honest with that. And then find the danger of it. The danger in this uh, behavior. In the case of, uh, I switch from one to the other, but in the case of uh, desire, for example, uh, for sense pleasure, while I'm dreaming or wanting something else, I'm actually refusing a reality that is so rich and full of information 
in terms of freeing the mind. While I'm like, like this on something pleasant, there's something, it's like I'm going for a cheap trail when there is something that I'm putting aside that can be so, uh, happiness that can be so much more profound than something that actually passes pretty quickly, that is hard to maintain, sustain, keep, get more of. So the key in there is uh, really this mindfulness again. Without it, there's, there's really not much uh, we can do because we don't know what is going on. And uh, this freedom of mind, this Nibbana, is a, it's, a, it's a complete freedom that is independent of circumstances. So uh, what we're doing basically is starting right now by accepting what is present completely, not fighting with it feeling it, uh, finding this, uh, uh, this non-reactivity. This non-reactivity is going to be an expression of freedom later. And that's uh, that we start to doing this uh, right now on the path. I'll end with, I'll end with these words from uh, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine. To understand this is to heal all illness and sorrow. Let yourself be still without grasping or resisting. The wise person lives in voidness with an open and free heart that does not cling to anything this is the peace of Nirvana. It's always here, available when we let go. And we can actually start doing this in the presence of sloth, in the presence of a mind that is going full speed, in the presence of a, a mind that is uh, grumpy, conceited, opinionated, uh, that wants to be uh, even dishonest uh, about the truth in the face of a mind that is uh, longing for something else, dissatisfied. It's possible to have space for this in this heart-mind.
thank you very much for listening to this. I hope there was something in there for you. And uh, let's take just a moment to let the words uh, dis dissolve. 